Lamping here, PHRA's Executive Director. Welcome to PHRA's podcast, P4, People, Purpose, Passion, Pittsburgh. P4 is brought to you by our members and sponsors, Lattice and the University of Pittsburgh, Executive MBA Programs, and the Center for Executive Education. We appreciate their support, and we'll hear from them throughout the podcast, beginning with the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. Especially in times of uncertainty and challenge, America needs exceptional leaders to guide our healthcare institutions. The highly ranked executive MBA in healthcare at the Joseph M. Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh is designed to empower and enable leaders to think critically, make informed decisions, and inspire confidence. Forge your path into healthcare innovation by visiting business.pit.edu/slash EMBA healthcare. Welcome to the special conference edition of P4. In this episode, Pete Tram, P4 host, and John Bernadovich, one of PHRA's featured keynotes, will discuss how to be amazingly awesome and execute the function of HR like a boss. Great power comes great responsibility. This is something that we heard in the movie Spider-Man. And uh, today we're going to take a little bit of an HR spin on this. And we're here with John to learn a lot more about what is HR and how'd you get in front of us on the speaking stage coming up for this conference uh, at the end of September of 2022. So John, excited to dig in with you and learn more about your story and why you think HR is so awesome. Pete, so excited to be here. Cannot wait for the conference. Super excited to share my perspective on what it takes to do HR in a completely different way. And I look forward to all your questions. Have at it. I'm ready for you. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Let's go. So, John, where are you from and uh, where'd you grow up and how did you stumble into HR? I'm originally from a small town called Doylestown, Ohio. I know there's a Doylestown PA as well and grew up there until I was in eighth grade. Real quick, funny family stories. We moved into a community called Bath, Ohio. That's actually where LeBron James lived for a period of time when he was in Cleveland. And I met my wife on the school bus ride home the first day of school in eighth grade, November 1st, 1987. Her and I did not know we were going to get married until later on in life. I think I knew it before she did. Uh, Anyway, long story short, I moved into Akron. I went to school at Kent State University, go flashes. I was an academic All-American there at golf. I thought about being a professional golfer for about one week. I can tell that story at another time. And I decided to get into business because I love the idea of making a difference and and having uh, what I would describe control over my desired outcome, uh, whether that be income level or type of house I wanted to own or control over my schedule. And so I did what I call corporate America uh, sales and human resources for a company called ADP for about 10 years. And then I've been an entrepreneur since uh, roughly about 16, 17 years ago. Nice. So tell us a little bit more about the entrepreneurial endeavor. Uh, A couple of companies. What are you working on now? Where do you work? Who's your employer now, John? Sure. So I've started six companies. One of them I sold. One of them was a complete failure. And one of them was right in the middle is how I would describe it. And now I have three different businesses that I own today. One's a water vending company that's been around since 2003. I also own a fractional sales management business, which we help small employers drive top-line sales through high high degree and high-quality sales leadership. 
that usually small businesses can't afford. But the primary reason I'm on today's podcast and speaking at PHRA is that I own a business called Willery. Willery is a staffing and consulting company, which is focused just in the HR and payroll space. And we do three primary things. We do search on HR and payroll positions. We do staff augmentation, temporary, fractional, whatever you want to call it. Again, all HR and payroll. And then our consulting practice has a very distinct and unique niche in the HR tech space. So we do a lot of optimization, implementation, and vendor selection support of clients' HR technology needs and desires. Nice. There's uh, so many more questions I have with that. We'll, we'll come uh, back to those later on or at another time. Let's see. You've, you've been in HR. You've seen it at the big level, at the small level, been involved in PHRA, uh, it, it, you know, many different capacities. So you've seen good HR. You've seen bad HR. Let's talk about really, 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 really good HR and maybe even amazingly awesome HR. What's that mean? Yeah, so I've, I've written a book. The reason why Liz asked me to be one of the keynotes here at PHRA is that my book, HR Like a Boss, like a boss to me is defined by doing something amazingly awesome. I, I did in my research, check out all the different variations of definitions of like a boss in the Urban Dictionary, and that was an entertaining hour of my life. The one that I landed on, centered on, was amazingly awesome, and I thought to myself, if you had a chance to describe someone that's in human resources as doing it like a boss, that means they, they're a standout. They're doing it. They're the top of their class. They're what you might call the greatest of all time. And I look at HR like a boss as being providing human resources in a way that's different than most every other human resource professional. And the simplest way that I put that to people who ask me is that they're business people first that have done an exceptional job of connecting their employees to the purpose of their business. And as a result, we're getting great, great outcomes for our employees for our, in our company, which then we can make a big difference in the community by really having an aligned employee population that's centered in on what the business is all about, what it's trying to accomplish, so we can all do good together. So you're telling me that HR is a little bit more than just managing people and compliance and yelling at folks. Is that right? <laughs> it's way more than that, Pete. Way more. Yeah, we want to we want to look at I had a recent conversation with a colleague who was talking about, gosh, it would really be nice when our executive leadership team wouldn't call me when they have a pe just when they have a people problem. I want to be involved in the strategic thinking of where we're taking this business, how we're going to leverage our our talent, our human resource the human resources that we have to be able to make a real meaningful difference in our employees' lives. And at the same time, if we do that by intentionally looking at what does our business do and how do we do it better than everyone else and how do we make a difference in the world, then all of a sudden you can have an employee that says, I'm doing this job every single day. I'm trying to do it the best I possibly can because that's what I, I have great pride in my work and I want to do that well. But at the same time, I know that this is what my business is needing me to do. And if I do that, then we can do something really good in our community that I feel like I have an impact on just by doing my, my job. And it can be a variation of jobs uh, from, you know, from the smallest in somebody's mind to the biggest in someone's mind. But if we can tie how your job makes a difference on our business and then how our business makes a difference in the community, that to me is what amazingly awesome HR is all about. And that's the opportunity that HR has in being able to take on that responsibility of driving that type of engage, engagement and meaning and impact back to your employees. 
you talked about engagement, okay? And there's a lot of research that's come out. I've read a bunch of different things. Employee engagement, it's great, it's bad, it's terrible. How do I measure it? What all can I do around employee engagement? So as you were working on the book, I understand you're doing a lot of research around this and Gallup has come out with some reports, uh, even just a, a couple of weeks or months ago, I think now, around employee engagement. Can you share with us a little bit more around what you took away from that and some insights that the rest of the community can probably benefit from? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a math major, but I did, I did love math and I certainly uh, understand numbers to some extent. And I know that two thirds is a fair amount of people. And in the Gallup, in the Gallup 12 survey, they, they basically suggest that two thirds of employees are not engaged at work which means one third of them are. So just simply do the math when you're sitting in, a, in your conference room or on a Zoom call with 30 people, and all of a sudden you got 20 of them that really don't wanna be here right now. At my level, of, like, and when I'm not engaged, I'm on my phone, I wish to not be doing what I'm doing at this moment. And to me, that's, it's staggering. It's, 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 it's frankly, it's sad in my opinion that people can go to work every single day, work 40 years of their life doing a job that they just aren't engaged at. And I think, again, human resources and that function has a great level of responsibility for understanding what, what's happening. And an employer needs to look at and say, why are our employees not engaged at work? Is it the work that we're doing? Are we not connecting the dots the right way? Do our managers are they really bad at their job? Do they not understand how to manage people and to motivate them? And then I think the other thing too, when I think about employee engagement, can't put all that on the employer because that's not necessarily fair. It's, it's the individual employee that maybe hasn't found something they love to do yet. Are they, are they just, you know, I got this degree. I, I, I did this because my parents wanted me to get into HR or they wanted me to be a doctor and I just don't like doing this. So I'm, I'm just here for the paycheck. And then on top of that, from the employee's perspective, I'm just not sure, Pete, that they do a great job of feeling safe to share how they feel about the direction of the company. They think that no one's going to listen to me or I'm so disconnected from the CEO and the leadership team. I'm just this little person in this small role inside of this business, and no one really seems to care what I think. And I feel like people have been suppressed in that regard for too long. And we in human resources have to provide that conduit. For those individuals to share to share their story, to let us hear their voice, so that we at our leadership team level and executives within companies can understand what your customers, you know, your number one customer is your employee. What are they saying? How are they? How engaged are they at work? They're not, according to Gallup. So what can we do about changing that? And they'll give you all the recipes on how to cook cook that sauce to make sure that they become more engaged at work. As a result, you'll minimize turnover, you'll increase profitability. I mean, the numbers are staggering. Companies with engaged employees that have intentional purpose outperform those that are not by nearly 40%. And uh, it's, 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 it's not rocket science. Uh, it's, it's not overly complicated. Uh, but the numbers don't lie. And you got, you got to look at it and look at it very much specifically within your organization because there isn't just one formula for improving engagement across all businesses. If that was the case, it would already been done. John, you talked about being disconnected, not safe, not valued, not heard, not enjoying their work, not utilized. There's a lot of not, 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 not feeding into this two thirds disengaged. Um, boil it down to two. What are the two biggest factors uh, that are leading into, leading up or feeding into this people not engaged at work? 
Yeah. Number one, I would say employers are not listening to their employees. They're just not listening, not providing them with a forum to be able to share with them what they're looking for, to enjoy their job more, to enjoy working with their manager, to connect more with the business. That That's number one. The secondary point I would say is employees, and I know I mentioned this before, maybe don't necessarily feel like they have an opportunity to share their feedback with someone that matters that can do something with it. Sometimes a manager may not be equipped to be a manager. So when an employee comes to share their heart about something that's going on within their job or not connecting with the company, that manager might be afraid. Well, if I go tell my boss and all of a sudden this is an indictment on me that I don't know what I'm doing. So they might kind of pigeonhole that feedback into an area that doesn't get somewhere. So we have we have to, as employers, provide the right forum for our employees to share their voice. Every, everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to have an opportunity to share their opinion. Doesn't mean we're going to change it, but we certainly have to provide a forum for people to to get, get an opportunity to let people know, especially leadership, executives, managers, what they think is going on with the business that's working well and what is not working well and how do, how do we shift and adjust that accordingly. Yeah, that's so, so important. If they're not listening, then it's very difficult to say, hey, here's, here's what we're doing and uh, here's what we'd like to hear from you. Uh, and I bet it gets even more difficult whenever we talk about the, was it four or maybe even five different generations in the workforce? Listening to me as a, you know, 20 year old is very different than listening to, you know, my, my, my dad or my peer or my, my boss's boss who maybe is 50, 60, 70 years old. What is their background? Some of these things you don't even know. So what's this employee engagement like when it comes to generational differences? And while you're at ADP, I bet you saw the whole gambit, right? So dig in a little bit more around the generations and how this HR solution can't be one size fits all for absolutely everybody. Yeah, this is really complicated. There's no doubt about it. When, when you're talking about Gen Z up to baby boomer, and the things that drive and motivate each one of those, you know, demographic age-wise, certainly not going to, don't have time on this podcast to give you all of my insight into that as far as the dynamic of all those different generations, people. What, what I'll say is this, in, in my opinion, I think as a whole, if we kind of take this general swath across, how do we provide support to these varied generations is that number one, people want opportunity to shine and to be successful. We all like a winner. We all like when we win. We all like uh, the opportunity to, to showcase our skills. So having, having our business, the company we work for, putting ourselves in a position to be successful every single day. So there's got to be an opportunity for that. Secondarily, we have the best people that I know that succeed in business are ones that are humble and they want to be coached and developed. And in order to have that successful environment, you have to have a culture for it. So there's got to be a level of development. And what I saw most recently in a McKenzie survey is, is development and what I'll call career pathing were primary, you know, number one drivers for businesses as to why people would stay at a job or quit. They stay because they feel like they have an opportunity to grow. They quit because they don't. And then the last thing I would say, which is the primary reason why I started my own businesses is that I love autonomy. I love the chance to, to showcase my own skills and my opportunity to create something from nothing. And if we can do that in a business in every single department, 
and provide our leaders and our uh, our line workers and everybody in between an opportunity to to be to provide autonomous work. Now that doesn't mean they can go off and if they're a line worker they can't go off and do something completely off off the line, but also you know giving them the chance to feel like I have autonomy to think and provide input and to do this job the way that I think it best should be done. So you're giving them the responsibility and making them aware of opportunity to align purpose for each of these individuals, no matter where they came from or where they want to go. It makes sense. I pulled up the McKinsey study on my on my side over here. Forty one percent of people uh, were quitting their jobs uh, for lack of career development advancement opportunity. So that's the, the bigger biggest one above the dollars, above the other pieces. It's it's huge. 41% of people quitting for that reason. 66% of people don't really want to be there. Gosh, how has the uh, kind of hybrid work from anywhere world changed this? To, so to me, it's interesting. We just had this debate earlier with my staffing team. We're, we're getting almost, not from every candidate, from a large majority of candidates that they want to work remotely. They want to work remotely, preferably full-time. But they then would look at hybrid as a secondary aspect, preferably. I don't want to say no one wants to work 100% in a traditional office every single day, because that's not true. But the vast majority want hybrid and remote. And I think what it has done, it has forced employers to make some decision and expose themselves in a way of being flexible and accommodating and understanding how the market changed, because COVID changed the market in this regard 100%. And an employer either reacted and responded accordingly, or they, they, they steadfast stood around and said, no, we're not going to do that. That's not how this business has been for 100 years. You got to be in the office. If I don't see you working, that means you're not working. And as a result of that, 40 some million people quit, right, during the great resignation, and more and more are because they didn't feel like they had that career development opportunity. They feel like they didn't have that autonomy. They, You all of a sudden gave me remote work for six months, and then now you want me back in the office where I felt like I was able to manage my work just as well and maybe manage my relationship with my spouse or my kids better because I was there. But now I got to go back in the office in a 30-minute commute, and I don't really like Starbucks that much, but I got to go there in the morning to get my my caffeine fix. I I, I think hybrid and remote work was one of the largest disruptions that HR has felt in my lifetime, in my lifetime, 100%. Yeah, mine, mine too, in my lifetime as well, throw that one out there. Um, so we talked about the problem, let's talk about the solutions, right? What can we do to engage with those folks, whether they're part-time in the office, um, in meaningful ways? What are some things that you've seen that really you know, hits home and, and it works well? Yeah, I, I think one of the primary things that you have to do, and I, I've been asked this question, Pete, a bunch of times, not just because of HR Like a Boss, but I founded Willery back in 2010 as a 100% virtual company. As a matter of fact, I had one person ask me, honest to God, did I know COVID was coming in 2010? Because you were so prepared, you didn't have to switch anybody to a remote work setting, you were already there. And, and I, I had to tell the gentleman three times, no, I didn't know COVID was coming. Uh, but that being said, the, the number one thing that we do that I feel like makes a difference of engaging employees and helping them in that remote hybrid setting is you have to have a regular one-on-one -on -one conversation and relationship with your manager and your team members. 
Gallup 12, one of the most difficult questions and the lowest ranking question that you get in that survey is, do you have a best friend at work? And, that, that they, and they intentionally ask best friend. You can't establish a, a best friend relationship, at least most people can't, through email or through just Zoom calls. You have to have some ability to have one-on-one -on -one communication and, and, and a dialogue and develop a relationship with them. And I think in that state, I feel like that one-on-one -on -one needs to be with your manager. So I need to have a regular cadence with my manager so that I can support you as, as one of my employees or as the employee that I need to get guidance and counsel and, and insight from you as my manager. Managers don't do that as a whole. They don't, they don't create regular communication one-on-ones with their employees. I don't know why. Uh, we do them uh, somewhat, I don't want to say religiously at Willery, but th th at a minimum, at a minimum once a month, uh, sometimes we have them once a week. Uh, depending upon the role and responsibility. The other part is that you can't have a complete 100% hybrid or, or virtual workforce. I should say you can't have a 100% workforce that's remote and expect them to be able to connect with each other. So at the very least, once a year, preferably once a quarter, you're getting teams or regions together that are nearby one another that you can create fellowship with, you can break bread, you can share stories, you can show pictures of your kids or your activities or the things you've accomplished in your life so you can connect one-on-one. -on -one. And that's how we've done it at Willery. We really, I don't want to say struggled is probably too strong of a word, but we had a gap there for about a year and a half where we didn't meet. And it, it, it my, my employees felt it. And, and we most recently just got together as a group and it was almost like a high school reunion it's like all these people hadn't seen each other in so long, and we're supposed to do a meeting during this four-hour time frame. And people were like, we don't want to meet. We don't want to talk about business. We want to catch up with what Sally's been doing, or oh my gosh, your hair looks different, or I don't, I don't, you know, what have you been doing the last couple of years? So you have to give a, people a chance to to shake hands, to give each other a hug, to laugh and to cry and to break bread and to share a drink uh, at a minimum once a year, uh, preferably once a quarter. There's so much more that you can uh, gain and observe and experience when you're there in person. Sometimes those nonverbals speak much louder than the, the verbals uh, actually do. So, yeah, I, amen to that, 100%. Uh, so you talked about some of the stories that you might share uh, whenever you're there to get together in person. Uh, I think you have a podcast, right? So something where we can share stories uh, while we're not together in person. What's, what's the podcast all about? Yeah, so I started the podcast kind of by mistake. I started doing interviews for HR Like a Boss, talking with people that I thought did HR in an amazingly awesome way. And we recorded them via Zoom. And probably three sessions in, my marketing director called me and said, hey, John, you are you you may not know it, but you're doing a podcast right now. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, we, we're going to take that content that you've interviewed the first three guests and I'm going to email them to make sure they're okay with us putting that out there into the world of podcast. And so there was born the HR Like a Boss podcast. And I start every one of my interviews with what do you define the purpose of human resources? And then my last question we close out on every one of the podcasts is how would you describe someone that does HR Like a Boss? And that's where I got the amazingly awesome stuff, uh, most of that content from. We've had almost 60 guests on the show. We'll be opening up season three in the fall. So if anyone that's listening wants to be on the podcast or you know someone that does HR in an amazingly awesome way, you can feel free to email me or find me at the conference. Uh, you can also find the podcast 
you know, on Spotify and with an Apple podcast, or if you, if you just Google HR Like a Boss podcast, we'll find you or you can find us. I'm going to put that in the, the show notes uh, for this. So you'll see if everybody's reading this, uh, we'll have John's book in there. We'll have the link to the podcast and a couple of other resources that we can point to, John, uh, because we want to learn, right? You're a wealth of knowledge and you've shared so much with us here. Um, let's get into the last two questions uh, of this session here today. First one, uh, and these, these are kind of quick fire, quick fire responses. The younger John, advice you would give yourself, looking back, what would that be? What would you tell your younger self? Hmm. I got lucky with the, I got lucky with the, this answer. I can tell you that choose, choose your career incredibly wisely because you're going to spend an ordinate amount of time doing that job. And then for me, choose your spouse even more, more carefully as you do. And I'm blessed to have fallen in love with my wife in, in eighth grade, or maybe a little bit after that. And 25 years later, here we are two kids and still happily married, but choosing your spouse and what you do every day, you're going to spend so much of your time with your spouse and where your life goes as a result of that. And then what you do every day in your career, you, you better love both of those things because otherwise you, you, you may not, you may not live as fruitful of a life as you probably could have. Yeah. So we got to make sure that we ride the bus more frequently. And uh, it seems like there's good love in Ohio. I thought it was Virginia's for lovers, but I guess there's a lot. of <laughs> expands everywhere, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last one. So uh, what are you reading right now? And one or two book recommendations to other people that are watching. Yeah, this is not a shameless plug. It's 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 the fact of the matter. I've I've read my own manuscript a number of times, HR like a boss, to get it prepared to send off to our publisher who's looking to publish the book in the very beginning of 2023. So that that has been kind of my reading obsession, to be honest with you, Pete. I, I also have scaling up, which sits on my desk every single day. If you own a small to mid-sized company and you're looking to scale your business or you're an HR professional that works in a small to mid-sized company. There's some great nuggets inside of a book called Scaling Up, written by Vern Harnish. It has four main pillars of the book, which are people, execution, strategy, and cash. And it tells you how to scale your business. It's very similar or somewhat of a competitor to EOS. If those of you that are used to that term, it's probably more well-known in the business community. We pick Scaling Up because it's way more friendly to people in the human resource profession. And then last but not least, uh, I just started reading a, a book called Golf is Not a Game of Perfect by uh, Bob Rotella because I'm trying to get really good at golf again. And I have that as a passion in my life. And I think the psychology of golf is one of the most fascinating things that I've ever experienced as a human being. So, Hey, who knows? The uh, professional golf dream is still possible. And PHRA has a pretty fantastic golf and bocce outing each year. So hopefully we'll see you at that uh, next year. And until the conference and coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, John, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's I've learned a lot and I have about uh, 650 follow-up questions from the, the book to the startup, to the engagement, to the other pieces. So I'm excited to listen to you talk and just wanted to say thank you uh, today for joining us, John. Pete, thank you. Look forward to seeing everybody. In a world where businesses are coming to terms with the demands of employee choice, solutions to improve workplace culture are crucial. Businesses of all sizes are doing everything they can to attract and retain top talent during this unprecedented time. 
connection to the team, a sense of belonging, and a feeling of purpose rank high in the needs of today's work-from-anywhere society. Sound familiar? At Lattice, we understand the importance team building and positive employee-employer relationships have on the success of a workplace. Done well, top-down and peer-to-peer knowledge sharing can unlock new levels of productivity and profitability to create a culture of cohesive collaboration. Ongoing high-quality connections reduce burnout and mitigate mental health issues, more important now than ever with social isolation on the rise. Lattice is a tool to make internal employee engagement easier and much more impactful for the entire organization. Lattice is a proven, secure workplace solution that is easy to implement for organizations of all sizes. So what are you waiting for? Let's Lattice. The PHRA P4 podcast was created to help build HR readers through discussions with thought and business leaders on the most critical success factor of any business, its people. If you enjoy an episode, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast and providing us a rating. We would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode, tag PHRA, and share it with your followers.